All right, so we are wrapping up this series uh, today, and it, we've been in this series for about five weeks. The series is better, and we're wrapping it up. And we started this series uh, based on some questions from a book that I read not too long ago. And the first question we talked about the first week is essentially that life is a series of decisions and choices that we make, and they stack upon each other to get to where we are. And so the first question is this. Um, am I being honest with myself? And so when it comes to decision-making, the question is, are we being honest with ourselves behind the motives and the reasons to which we're making those decisions? Um, and you'll never get to be where you want until you're honest about where you are. And so are you being honest with yourself when it comes to making decisions? The second question is this. We talked about the idea is that eventually all of our lives are just stories that people tell if they tell the story at all. And so what story do we want people to tell? When it comes to our life and when it comes to the end and when people are talking about who we were and what we were doing, what story do we want people to tell? Our third question was this, is that when we make decisions, sometimes if we're honest, we feel this tension in the decision making. We feel this moment of, of this tense where we're thinking about it. It doesn't seem right. Something seems off. And what happens? Do we pay attention to that tension that we feel? A lot of times it's easy to see in other people where there's a tension in us about the choices that they're making, but do we pay attention to that same tension in ourselves? And then last week we talked about what is the wise thing to do? So when it comes to making a choice, what is the wise thing to do? In light of your past, we've all had past and we all should have learned from our past. In light of your current circumstances, in light of your future hopes and dreams, what is the wise thing? thing to do. And so we kind of said if we, if we navigated all choices through those questions, we would make better choices and then we would obviously live with fewer regrets. The other side of the regret part is that our regrets not only affect us, they affect the people around us. We often think that when we make bad choices, it's isolated to us, but in reality, it actually does affect the people around us that we love. Now, these questions are a little bit terrifying. And the reason they're a little bit terrifying is because they're clarifying, right? In light of your past experience, most of us can be honest and say we often know what the right choice is based on where we've been in the past. For a lot of us, it's easy for us to ignore the tension that we feel, even though we know we should pay attention to it. And so what if we actually paid attention to that kind of moment where we're sitting there going, I don't really know if this is the right thing to do or not. And so these questions can be a little bit terrifying because they're clarifying in us making better choices. Now today, the final question is perhaps the most clarifying at all of all the questions we've asked. Because it will also require the most of you, and that's why it's so easy for so many of us to dismiss this last question, okay? You owe it to yourself to know the answer to the questions you ask about why you're making the choices that you won't. Because if you don't ask those questions, you can only hurt yourself, but also hurt the people around you, okay? Now, today what we're going to do is say this. When you imagine your future, it's never you by yourself, there's always people around you. There's loved ones, there's kids, there, there's friends, there's family. There's always somebody beside you, right? And this question is the question that has the potential to enhance every single relationship you're in. But if we don't answer this question honestly, it also has the potential to hurt every relationship that we're in. If we answer this question and we live by the standard to which this question is asked, it has the power to restore broken relationships, marriages, uh, family relationships and dynamics, and heal relationships. And so this question, I realize, is one of the most terrifying if we really tried to answer it and live by the, the way that it impacts our life. 
Okay, so throughout Jesus' ministry, when you follow Jesus throughout the gospel, throughout his ministry, he's constantly hinting at the fact that something new is on the horizon, that he's here to start something new. Now, he's embracing the past and he's clarifying the past, but he's also starting something new. Now, for many people, what they were hoping for, and this is not a political statement, but they were hoping that Jesus was here for political reform. That's what they were hoping for. They were hoping that Jesus was going to be the king that would overthrow Rome or at least overthrow it in that area. But Jesus doesn't do that at all. Jesus had something different in mind. And his hints, his parables, his foreshadowing, they were all designed to create a sense of expectation in the hearts of minds of his followers that something new is coming. And so he hints around this and he hints around this and hints around this. And on the night of his arrest, as his earthly time is coming to end, he gathers his followers closest to him. And this is going to be the spearhead of the movement. And Jesus finally reveals his intentions for this movement that he's starting. Now, if you've been around church much or you've been around Journey, you know that we've talked about these things a lot. And in fact, nothing that I'm going to say to you today is going to sound completely brand new. We've heard it before. And to me, that is the thing that scares me, is because we've heard these words, we've heard these thoughts so many times, it's so easy to dismiss them. In fact, when I tell you what I'm going to tell you today that Jesus says, for most of us, it's going to have little to no impact. And you're going to even kind of have this attitude of, oh, I've heard that before. But these words, I fear, we've become so familiar with that it's so easy to be dismissive of these ideas, to be dismissive of this question, because we've been talking about it so often in our life. These are words that should guard our actual words that we use. This question is something that should guard over our responses to people, our actions towards people, and our attitudes towards people. But again, we've heard this so much. The temptation is just to be like, oh, I've heard that before, you know, which is unfortunate because these words spoken by Jesus, these are the words that these men heard for the first time and they turned the world upside down with these ideas. In fact, you could argue that what Jesus tells us today, and we're gonna read today, is the epicenter of the Christian faith. These are the words of what it really looks like to participate in the kingdom of God here on earth. Paul takes this idea that Jesus has, and he goes even further. In Galatians, he actually says this. He says, the only thing that matters is these words in action. And in the Corinthians, he declares that if we don't get this one thing right, it doesn't matter what else we get right. Paul understood that if we miss this, if we miss the impact of these words and the question we're going to talk about today, he understood that it could have great implications and that it actually could be destructive to the faith. And so Jesus, he sets down with his followers. It's about the end of his time on earth and he's going to tell them a few things. And I wish for a moment that we could all pretend that we're hearing these things for the first time. To imagine the impact of what these men felt when they heard these words. These words should compel you to forgive, to be kind, to loan your strength to someone, to tame your tongue, and to adjust your pace to help others and to be patient, to open your wallet, to reshuffle your priorities, your values. And so what did Jesus say? Jesus looks at his followers and it's towards the end. He's kind of given this last kind of speech, this last kind of thing. And here's what he says. A new command... I give you. 
Now, of course, this wasn't actually a new command, but he's going to double down on this command. And if you remember earlier in the story, Jesus reduced the entire command. So most of us, what we think that following Jesus, many people, the reason they reject Christianity for some reasons is they think it's just a bunch of rules we have to follow. And so to hear a new command would not be surprising to people from a religious context. And, but Jesus earlier, what he does, he takes all of the law. And so most of us, we talked about this before, when we think of the law, we think of 10, right? And most of you haven't kept all of them, have you, right? You haven't. Most of you haven't kept all of them this morning, have you, right? Okay. And so we think of 10, but the reality is there's actually 613, and Jesus reduces 613 laws earlier to two, to love God and love your neighbor. But then he comes back and he has this radical idea that he's going to take all of it and he's going to take it down to one. Another command, right? But it reduces everything down to one. A new command I give you. Ready? A new command I give you. It should be up on the screen maybe. A new command I give you. Sorry. Love one another. Again, see, when you hear that, there's no like emotional response, is there? You're like, of course, that's what the Bible says. We know that's what Jesus says. We know that this is in there, okay? And, and, and we just kind of dismiss these words. But you got to understand what Jesus is, is teaching the impact of these words on these men. And not only what he says, but, but as we know, as Jesus didn't just say, just love one another, because that would be like, oh, just love one another. You know, hippie Jesus. You know, of course he says, love one another. But what he wasn't done, and what he says next is interesting. Because he doesn't just tell people to love people, and then you get to define what love is. Because that would be easy. Because then we get to decide what the standard is. We get to decide who we love and who we don't love and to what level we love. And, and what you got to understand, too, is this is a command. So for those of us that don't follow Jesus, we, we can dismiss these words. But for those of us who say we follow Jesus, this is a command from our king. He's commanding us to do something. That's what he's doing. And what came next out of his mouth, it changed the world. It trumped the golden rule, Right? And it even trumped the idea of just love God. So here's the command. Love one another as I have loved you. Now that changes it, doesn't it? Because see, if I have to love somebody based on how we love each other, well, then that standard's pretty low. And I can define that and dictate what that looks like. But what Jesus actually says is we're to love one another as he has loved us. Now, some of us, we grew up in certain kind of churches where it was all about believing. And belief is important, right? Because we don't believe these words unless we believe in Jesus. But, but Jesus says this command is this, that you're to love each other as I have loved you. Jesus, on his last night with his followers, the last message he gives them is about love and loving each other, and letting that be the God not only for each other, but also for the way that we're going to be seen in the world, as we'll see. Now, this is extraordinary. 
Because imagine these guys sitting at the table. Now, if you follow uh, the, the writings of the gospel, these are his disciples that are here. So these are guys that are closest to him. These are guys that have spent the most time with him. And Jesus has called all of them individually into the circle. And they've spent three years with Jesus, which means when Jesus says, I have loved you, you're to love each other. For them, they knew exactly what he meant. This was personal. See, for most of us, when we think about Jesus and his love, we think of the cross, and we're going to talk about that here in a minute. But for them, this was deeply personal because they remember a time when they weren't loved, when they weren't accepted, and Jesus gave them purpose, and Jesus invited them in. And even though they mess up time and time again, Jesus still loves them. This was deeply personal for these guys. They understood exactly what it meant when he said, as I have loved you, you're to love each other. And so the question for us is to kind of tap into that emotional state is this. How about you? Right? Let's just put yourself in the seat of these guys. When you first decided to follow Jesus, and for some of us we have to go way back, or we have to remember this emotional moment at this conference or at a church service or during some song or whatever it is, and whatever your moment was, when you first chose to follow Jesus, what were you up to, right? What were you like when you first accepted the call? Think about the season of life that you were in. Think about who you are even still today. Jesus loved you and he still loves you, right? We, we laughed a second ago because I said, most of us in this room haven't even followed the 10 commandments today. And we laughed because we know it's true, right? I mean, we make bad choice after bad choice after bad choice, and yet he continues to love, continues to forgive over and over and over again, right? Me too. The dumb stuff that we do, the dumb stuff that we say, the way that we hurt other people, the way that even some of us, let's be honest, we say we're followers of Jesus, but then the way we treat other people, the way we respond to the people that God says that he loves, Think about all of the grace that you've received, the mercy that you've received, the love that you've received. And when I think about that, here's what really sticks out to me. Is, and this is the part that I wrestle with, and maybe you do too. Um, so I think about all that Jesus has done for me. And so when I think about that, here's the thing. If I'm to love as God has loved me, then the reality is that I have no excuse not to extend grace and forgiveness and love to other people. Even the people that hurt me, even the people that wrong me, even the people that have spoken ill about me. The reality is that because of the grace and forgiveness and love that's been extended to us, then I'm supposed to extend that grace and love to other people. Because I've been commanded to love as I have been loved. Now, for some of us, we, we even get lost in that. And, and this isn't in my message, but it just hit me. Like, see, for some of us, when it, when it comes to love, like, um, some people were never loved till they understood the love of God. And so this idea of, like, loving the way that he loves us, I mean, this is changing their life. And imagine if we got that right. 
Imagine if the standard that we held ourselves to was the standard of love into which we've been loved by Jesus. And then he says this, and I think this is where we are as a culture and as a world today. He says this, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. By this, and only this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. This new brand of love was to serve as the unifying and defining characteristic of the church, which is us. His new command was to serve the governing ethic to which all of our behavior should be measured. This is the litmus test to being a follower of Jesus. And then it really is funny because I think about myself, and maybe you do too, I don't know. Um, I'm not always good at that. Are you? Like, I, I, I don't always love people the way that I have been loved. I don't always show grace and mercy to people the way that I've been shown grace and mercy. I'll go ahead and tell you this. I am not patient with people the way that God has been patient with me. And then this. Jesus doesn't just say, hey, do this because, well, do you know who I am? I'm Jesus. No, Paul said that Jesus did something even more interesting, that he did not regard equality with him something to be leveraged for his own benefit, that what he does is he gives of himself. He gives of himself fully. And so the idea is that when we think about this, that, that what did Jesus do? Jesus didn't say, oh, just do these things because I'm Jesus. He said, no, I'm going to show you what this actually looks like. And so he gives of himself to those on his right and those on his left and those who would turn from him and betray him. And as Paul would write, he did this even for his enemies. So why then should we obey the command to love? Because he first loved us. It's that simple. We love because he first loved us. And so a new command I give you, love one another. Now, that's all set up for what we're going to talk about next, okay? See, what you have to understand is this standard is far less complicated than the prevailing religious systems of the day and even today. This is clarifying. But here's the thing. It's also more demanding, isn't it? to love people the way that you've been loved. And here's why we choose to ignore this. Because there's no loopholes. There's no workarounds. The standard is that we love the way that he loves us. Which sets us up for our fifth and final question and the most demanding and perhaps the scariest of all of them. When it comes to making choices in life and decisions in life, here's the question. What does love require of me? What does love require of me? When we're navigating the complexities of relationships, the question is, what does love require of me? When it comes to dating someone, what does love require of me? When it comes to parenting, what does love require of me? When it comes to being the boss, what does love require of me? When it comes to being the coach, what does love require of me? This should be the standard on how we lead, how we respond to people. 
It should be the perimeter around we say, okay, these are the roles as, as our spouse, coworker, neighbor, friend, and this is the question we ask. What does love require me? It's so simple, but it's also so inescapably demanding, isn't it? What does love require of me? If you're unsure of what to do, well, what would love do in this moment? If you're unsure of what to say, well, what would love say in this moment? You're unsure what's best for the people around you? What would love say is best for the people around you? And if you're confused on what love would say and love what it would do, remember the definition of love that Jesus gives us is just as I have loved you, Jesus wanted what was best for us. He wanted what was best for others. And so as we are loved, we are to love. Now, if that sounds like too much to ask, congratulations, you finally learned what Jesus is actually asking of us. If there's something you're like, I just don't know if I can live up to that, then you understand what he's actually finally called us to. The reality is when I thought about this question, and I was reading this book, most of the time I actually know what love requires of me. The problem is I don't wanna do it, right? I don't wanna be patient with that person. I don't want to have to hold my tongue this time. I don't want to let there and let them walk over me or do this thing, right? And this is why it gets so tricky. And so what's interesting is as we read the Bible, what we see is Jesus says this, and then the New Testament writers come around him, and they don't change what he says, but they kind of evolve what he says and, and makes it more practical. In fact, there's this letter that Paul writes in the book of Galatians. And he talks about this idea of that when, when, when the spirit of God comes into you, there's certain things that you'll be defined by. These are the things that we would think of that kind of define who Jesus was. And, 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 and he says things like that the spirit of, of God, okay, will always nudge you. So if you're a follower of Jesus and you're trying to live to the standard, the spirit of God will always nudge you to kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. That's what love does. Love never nudges you the opposite way, does it? It nudges you towards these things, okay? And, and then in, in the book of Corinthians, Paul writes this letter to this church in, in Corinth, and, and he, he says this, this definition of what love is. In fact, most of you have read it at weddings. And again, I, I think the danger sometimes is we become so familiar with these words, we lose the impact of these words. But Paul describes the gold standard of what love really looks like. And when I took all of the things that Paul says about love, I, I kind of looked at it and I said, okay, maybe this is, this is what love actually looks like. And here's the statement. It says this, love never treats another person dishonorably, disgracefully, or indecently. That's what love, that's what he's saying. Love, let me say it again in case you didn't pick up on that. Love never treats another person dishonorably, disgracefully, or indecently. Can I just have a confession? I have treated people dishonorably, disgracefully, and indecently. I've done it. I've done it recently. Shocker, I know, okay? Jesus never treated another person, including you, dishonorably, disgracefully, or indecently. Love doesn't create regret. 
It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It doesn't keep score. Love forgives. That's what love requires. Love doesn't delight in evil, but rejoices in what's true. Love keeps out harmful things. Love doesn't seek to win arguments. Love works to protect. And then he says this. He says, of all of the things, love always hopes, always perseveres, and always protects. And that is why our fifth and final question is not for the faint of heart. What does love require of us? So let's make it real practical, right? And next time you're on your way to go somewhere, and your wife, and I know this sounds sexist because sometimes it's the guy, but in my context, your wife is going to make you late, right? <laughs> what does love require of you in that moment, right? Your kids, when your kids, it's going to happen. Your kids are going to tick you off, right? Can we just be honest? All right, kids, kids are dumb, and they do. <laughs> we were all kids, though, so it's okay. We were all dumb. Kids are going to do stuff, right? And that moment when your kid does something that just pushes the envelope a little bit, in that moment, what does love require of you? Or your friends, or your neighbors, or your coworkers? What does love require of you? So before you react to someone, before you respond to someone, before you remind them of their past, before you get out of the car to go into the house to straighten everybody out, right? Before you walk into his or her office, before you decide to make a decision that you may regret and they may regret, ask yourself, what does love require of me? I know what I've done in the past. I know what everybody expects me to do. I know what everybody else would do. I know my pattern, my habits have been. Listen, I even sometimes know what they deserve. But I also know what I deserved. And so what does love require of you? He gave it all for you and for me. And it changed everything. So may it be the most complicated of all of the questions, but may it also be the most clarifying. And may it be not only the most impactful for us today and in our hearts and in our minds, but for those around us. And so what does love require of you? Let it be the standard to which you use to make decisions. And let me end with this, because it seems so far, doesn't it? But imagine a world Imagine a community, imagine a people, in light of what we've all seen and experienced this week alone, imagine a world that led with that. Imagine a marriage that led with that. Imagine a family that led with that. The defining feature was love. And not just love as we've been loved, but love as he loved us. And maybe we can get there, I don't know. But it starts with us. It starts with us asking better questions so we live with fewer regrets. Let's pray.